0: Well, welcome to Sisterhood. It's so great to see you today. I love being with you, and I've been loving this um, study that we're doing on clothed with strength. And today we're going to look at being clothed with devotion. And devotion is a word that's most often used with um, our time that we spend with God. And I don't know... For you, it can be a different time. For me, it's in the morning. I love to get up and spend my time with the Lord in the morning. But um, we call it devotions and spending time with God. And a lot of us, I'm sure, have many devotionals. Little, um, maybe books, maybe you have um, My Utmost for His Highest, or maybe a devotional by Susie Larson. There's so many devotionals out there. Or maybe you do your soap, like um, we're doing at church here. We all read the same couple chapters every day, and we write down what we observe and apply, and then we pray about it. I love that. So devotions is, um, is a great thing that we do, but sometimes I think that we can kind of make it a religious habit, maybe something that we just check the box with. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to be those people that just put God in a box and say, oh, I'll spend a little time with you, I'll check that off, and then that's it. And we don't think about him the rest of the day. That's not what being devoted is. And devotion is not a verb. It's not something that you do. Devotion is a noun. It's something you have. The definition of devotion is the state of being dedicated, solemnly set apart for a particular purpose. It's ardent love or affection, attachment manifested by constant attention. It's eagerness and earnestness. So devotion is just profound dedication. And there's a word in the Bible that describes devotion and that word is consecrated. And it's, it's a long word but it just means to be separated, devoted, or dedicated to the service and worship of God. So a woman who is devoted is set apart for God. Her life is lived for him. And she she doesn't fear man, but she fears God. And he is her audience of one. I love that. I'm sure you've heard that before, but I love that we live for an audience of one. And that's to please our Father. So what are you devoted to? Devotion is not a word that we use only in terms of our relationship with the Lord, but it's used in many other things. We can devote our lives to a lot of different things and most of us devote our lives to our families and those people that we love, but we can also be devoted to our jobs or our hobbies. We can be um, earnest or eager on behalf of really good things and good causes like human trafficking or feeding orphans. Um, There's a lot of great things out there that we can give our attention to. But even if we're devoted to these worthy things, we still serve only one master and that's Jesus. In Matthew 6 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. So you can be devoted to your family, but you still serve Jesus. You can be devoted to your job or your hobbies, but ultimately you only have one master, and that's God. So in Acts chapter 6 in the Bible, it talks about what happened when the early church began to grow. And the church was growing so fast that it increased to the point where the 12 apostles couldn't handle everything anymore. That things were falling through the cracks and people were getting left out and they weren't quite sure what to do. So the solution was that they created the role of a deacon. They chose people that they trusted and they appointed the role of ministering to people. And they said in Acts 6-4, we will continue to devote ourselves steadfastly to prayer and ministry of the word so the apostles were devoted to teaching the word and then the deacons were devoted to serving the people they each set time apart to give focused attention to these different assignments so even though they were devoted to their service they only had one master and they served the lord by being devoted to the people and the tasks now it's also possible to be devoted to the wrong things and I'm sure we can all attest to that. And we see an example of this in Acts chapter 17. Paul, who's writing Acts, he was in Athens, and he became deeply troubled by the idols he saw everywhere in the city. Now Athens in Greece was known as a city that was very, um, it was an important city, and they loved knowledge and education. They, They put a lot of emphasis on that, and they loved to discuss new ideas and be up on all the latest and greatest. So when some philosophers got into a discussion with Paul, About Jesus, they were really curious about what he had to say. And they said, Tell us this new teaching. You're saying some really strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. They're kind of like on the edge of their seat, like, Oh, tell us, tell us this. We've never heard these things before. And Paul answered them by saying in Acts 17, Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way, for I have passed by and beheld your devotions. I found an altar with this inscription, and it read, To the unknown God. So they were actually ignorant about who they were worshiping. Now the word devotions in the Greek is, it means something adored or an object of worship. So in that translation it said, I beheld your devotions, but in other translation it talks about um, the objects of their worship. So Paul was saying to them, you're very religious and I can see you don't even know who you're worshiping, but I'm not sure about your hearts. So it's, it's possible to give devotion to other objects, to false gods and to worthless things. And to us, in our modern world, it's a little more subtle, but we can give our attention to a lot of things that aren't worthy. We can give our attention to popularity or maybe to unhealthy friendships. We give too much attention to that, to wanting to be accepted and liked, to our appearance, our position. There's so many things that we can give our attention to that we shouldn't. And when we live our lives that are dedicated or set apart to something other than the Lord, then we can't set ourselves apart for him. And he deserves our whole heart. God actually seeks devoted hearts. And there's an interesting verse in John 2 in verses 23 through 25. It says, Now when he, speaking of Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew that which was man. These people that Jesus did not commit himself to, they were believers They weren't non-believers. They followed Jesus and they saw the miracles that he did, but he also saw their hearts. And he saw the true um, motive in their hearts wasn't to follow him. It was they wanted the blessings. They wanted the miracles. They wanted to see something amazing, but they weren't devoted to him deep down in their hearts. And later, they did actually leave him when things got really tough. In Second Chronicles 16, 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole, world, the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Now, loyal, the Hebrew word for loyal is shalem, and it means complete, especially friendly, full, peaceable, perfected, quiet, and whole. Loyal. Now, I know a little thing about loyalty because I... I'm a very loyal person. Um, if you know anything about the Enneagram, I'm sure some of you have heard about it. It's kind of like a personality test, and they have numbers from one through nine. And I actually fit into the number six. So I'm a number six, which is the loyalist. So sixes are committed, they're hardworking, responsible, trustworthy, and they love security. And for me, I love security in knowing, like, Oh, there's uh, I have a home to live in, and there's a solid like paycheck coming in every two weeks, right? To me, that makes me feel really secure. Well, when we started the church 24 years ago, Rob was selling appliances for Circuit City, and I don't even think Circuit City's in business anymore. But he would sell he would sell appliances, and so every night he would come home, and I'd be like did you sell something today? He's like, no, not today. And my heart would just sink, because I'm like, oh, what, are we gonna get paid? Are we gonna be able to live? I just longed for that security. And then when we started the church, um, he worked then, and then when he finally got to get paid by the church, it, every week it was like, I hope there's enough in the offering for him to get paid. And so that was really hard for me because I needed that security. Because sixes can also be very suspicious. They can be anxious. And driven by fear and self-doubt. So those are the things that I battle. But as six at their best, we are internally stable, we're self-reliant, and we can champion ourselves and others. So that is where I'm at my best. And I can only be at my best with God. I mean, the, the Enneagram is just kind of a description, and a lot of people say we put too much stock into it. I just think it's kind of fun to see where I kind of fit in and what things I'm, um, I, when I'm at my, my best, I do this, and then when I'm at my worst, I do this, but ultimately, it comes back to God, and so when I'm with him with his help, I operate at my best because he gives me peace, and I rely on him, and then I'm able to champion others, so... That verse in Chronicles says that the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro across the whole earth. He's looking at hearts. So when he looks at your heart, what does he see? He isn't looking for perfect behavior or perfect theology. Thankfully, he isn't looking for a perfect life. No matter what the condition of your life looks like right now, it doesn't matter how much you know or don't know. It doesn't matter how much you've done or not done you can still get his attention because it's all about your heart. First Samuel sixteen seven says, The Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So if God is looking at our hearts, we need to ask ourselves, what does the heart of a devoted woman look like? And how can we cultivate that type of a heart? So first of all, a woman whose heart is devoted desires his presence. Now we can be saved from our sins and on our way to heaven, but we can live our whole lives without desiring the presence of God. And that to me is just a very sad statement because I can't imagine my life without the presence of God in it. The Bible tells us that he's jealous for our affections, but he doesn't force himself on us. He gives us free will. He's never gonna force himself on us. And that's a really beautiful thing is that we get to give him our love freely. And if we're devoted to the Lord, we won't see our time with him as a have-to, but we'll see it as a get-to. And I think that happens over time. And most of us, it, it is that translate, a transition that takes place in our hearts gradually, but we start with it as a discipline, and then it, sh- it faithfully shifts to delight after a while. And I love that. It shifts to delight. And this happens when we get a revelation of his love for us. And if you've been around Sisterhood any length of time or uh, even at Sparkle, I pray this prayer a lot. I pray that we would get a revelation of God's love because I believe that when that happens in each one of our hearts, it changes us. It makes us want to be close to him. It, we want to get to know him. We want to be in his presence because we understand how amazing he is. 1 John 4.19 says we love him because he first loved us. So you could say then that a devoted heart is a response. As you grow in your awareness of the amazing love of God, you have to return that love. He is so amazing. He is so kind and gracious and good. So the quickest way to a devoted heart is to know how much he loves you. Again, just getting that revelation of God's love, that's the quickest way you're going to get to the devoted heart. So again, we begin with the discipline. We set aside that time for Jesus, just like we would with a best friend. Maybe we're going out for coffee with a best friend. We wouldn't skip that time. Don't skip your time with the Lord. Make it a discipline. But don't limit your awareness of him to that one specific time. Bring him along on your whole day. Linger, linger with him. Talk to him throughout your whole day. You know, you're in the car driving, and you can talk to him. You can worship him. Um, just all throughout your day, don't shut him out, just like a little devotional time, but throughout the day, include him in your day. Listen to him. Ask for wisdom. In the big things and the small things, just talk to him. You'll agree with the psalmist who said in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with him? You can just hear in those words just that longing to be in God's presence, and that's where he wants all of us to be, long to be in his presence. Number two, the woman whose heart is devoted obeys. Throughout the Bible, we read about people who obeyed God, but maybe they weren't necessarily totally devoted to him. And their obedience was from a mindset that, I need to obey God because otherwise I'll be punished, or I need to obey because then I'll get his blessings. And that's not the kind of obedience that we're talking about. We're talking about obedience that flows out of a heart that loves God so much that the thought of deliberately disobeying him brings great sadness and repentance. In 1 Kings 8, we read a story about King Solomon. And he had just finished building this big temple for the Ark of the Lord. And they were going to bring the Ark of the Lord into the temple. And when Solomon addressed the people on that day, he said in 1 Kings eight sixty one, 61, Let your heart, therefore, be wholly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as at this day. Solomon understood that if you're wholly devoted to the Lord, you will keep his commandments. You'll want to be obedient. But just a few chapters later, in 1 Kings 11, we read this in verse 4. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. So the phrase wholly devoted used in both these verses is that same Hebrew word, shalem, that we talked about earlier. It means loyal, complete, friendly, and at peace. It describes the kind of heart that that gets God's attention when his eyes are searching over the earth. Solomon told the people to have hearts that were wholly devoted, but then he didn't keep doing it. He had it in the beginning, but he didn't follow through. He failed to understand that the lasting obedience flows out of your heart, not into your heart. In other words, obedience doesn't create devotion, but devotion creates obedience. If we're going to maintain the obedience that we want to have for God, the devotion must come first, and then the obedience can flow out of it. Solomon's heart was not ultimately loyal to the Lord, so his obedience faltered. His wives were able to influence him when he was old and his heart turned away to other gods. It's so sad. If we want our obedience to be unmoving, it must come from a place of true devotion to him. Okay, number three, she is surrendered to him. So moving beyond obedience, if we're devoted to Jesus, our lives will be surrendered to him. In Romans 12, 1, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So a woman whose life is a living sacrifice doesn't allow herself to be shaped by the culture. She doesn't attempt to redefine truth by what her circumstances are. I know sometimes that's hard to do, but we have to live for Jesus in spite of ridicule, in spite of circumstances that aren't what we would want. We need to check in with him often, and we need to run our decisions by him again and ask for that direction and that wisdom. Now, the life of Daniel and his three friends is an example of this surrendered attitude. Daniel chapter 1 tells us that Nebuchadnezzar, who was king of Babylon, that's a really long name, but he was the king of Babylon and he had conquered Jerusalem and taken all the really bright young men to Babylon and he wanted them now to serve him. And it would have been easy for these captured men, Daniel and his friends, to just do everything that the king told them to do because if they didn't, they could lose their lives. But Daniel and his friends were resolute from the very beginning, and they refused to even eat the food that the king gave them because they knew it would defile them. And in Daniel 1, verse 8, it says, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. Daniel was determined. That means he he had made a choice, and he refused to falter in that. And it would have been easy to give in and say, you know, In Jerusalem, I wouldn't eat these foods, but now that I'm in Babylon and and I've been captured, I'm just going to have to give in and eat what the king gives me. You know, that would have been easy. Actually, after all, it's just food. Like, what's the big deal? But Daniel and his friends didn't back down, even in this seemingly small matter, which then led them to have strength even in the bigger challenges. In chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar built a 90-foot-tall statue of himself. Imagine that. 90 feet tall that. I'm not very good at estimating things, but I mean, if I'm almost, well, I'm probably six feet tall with my shoes on, but think of that. That's more than 10 of me. 90 feet tall. He built the statue and he said, everybody has to bow down to this statue of me. And if you don't, you'll be arrested. So Daniel and his friends refused to bow down. And they were arrested and told that if you don't, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Well, they chose the furnace And they said in Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, these verses are so powerful. They said, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, O majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. That's incredible. They were determined. They're like, We know that God can save us, but even if he doesn't save us, we would never bow down to you. That is some pretty amazing determination. And God did save these men, but it wasn't until after they were thrown into the furnace. So he didn't save them before. They thought they were going to die, but he saved them while they're in the furnace. They didn't get burned at all. They didn't even smell like smoke when they came out. It was amazing. Then in chapter 6, when Darius came to be king, a new king, And he made the law that anyone prayed to anyone other than him would be thrown to the lion's den. So they have fiery furnaces and they have lion's den. I'm really glad that we don't live back in that time period, right? But let's look at Daniel's response to that. In Daniel 6, verse 10, it says, But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. So Daniel was arrested and thrown to the lions because he refused to stop praying to God. But God shut the lions' mouths. Again, not until after he was thrown in. He thought he was going to die, and he chose death over disloyalty to God. These men were devoted. They didn't care what it cost them. And when the challenges to their devotion came, they never waived in their loyalty to God because they had already decided, they had determined in their heart, we're going to serve God. Their lives were surrendered to him And I think we need a little bit more of that determination in our lives. A little bit more surrender, like, okay, God, whatever you have for me, I'm there. Finally, a woman who is devoted is, number four, trusts God completely, no matter what. She believes his promises even when they don't look like they're true. She remains loyal even when there are storms in life and circumstances that come that we don't like and that don't feel good. She continues to focus intently on the Lord no matter the circumstances. Second Corinthians eleven three three through four says, I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach. Or a different kind of spirit than the one you received. Or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. It's incredible to think, but pure and undivided devotion to Jesus can be corrupted. If you don't check um, what people tell you or the the things that happen to you against the word of God, you're going to become deceived. Just like Eve was. I mean, imagine, God told Eve, this is the tree. Don't eat it or you will die. Okay? That was pretty simple. That was pretty straightforward. Don't eat of this tree or you'll die. But then what happens? The cunning serpent comes in, right? He slithers in and is like, oh my gosh. Did he say you'll die? You, you're not going to die. He just knows that your eyes will be open and you'll be knowledgeable and you'll have wisdom like him. That's all. And she's like, oh, well that sounds pretty good to me. And she gladly went along with it. We can easily become deceived when we are not focused in on God's word and his truth. When we know what God says, we can't back away from it. Even if our own life contradicts what God promises, we can't change our beliefs to match those circumstances. So if the Bible says that God is faithful, but what we're dealing with right now looks like he's not even paying attention, we have to stand strong. We need to decide now to have this attitude that I must believe God. If my heart is loyal to the Lord, it needs to be loyal to what he said. Now, several years ago, I had um, my gallbladder taken out. And after that surgery, I just didn't seem to get better. They're like, oh, it'll probably be about a week and you'll be back to normal and eating whatever you want and just... Well, so I was kind of excited about that, but a week came and went, a couple weeks, and I still was not feeling good at all. I couldn't eat, and then three weeks after my surgery, uh, we went to New York for a ministry trip, and I found myself doubled over in pain. I was in so much pain, I couldn't even stand up, and Rob was preaching at a a small church in, in downtown New York, and so I was in the basement of this church in the nursery laying on a couch because I literally couldn't even stand up. And so we cut our trip short, flew back home. I spent the whole day in the ER. And they're like, oh, you have this huge cyst on your ovary, and you need to have surgery to have your ovary removed. So in the time span of three weeks, I had two surgeries. And after that, I just really went downhill. And I was so sick, and I just wasn't getting better. And months went by, and I wasn't getting better. And during that time, I was, yes, I was discouraged, and yes, I I didn't feel good, and I thought, I just have to stand on what I know. And what I believe is that God is going to restore me to health. I know that. And so every day, I just chose to say that out loud and believe it and read his word and his promises, even though my circumstances looked like you're never going to get better. You're never going to be able to eat normally. You're not, you know, all these things that the, the devil lies that he throws at you. I'm like, you know what? I can't believe, I can't look at my natural circumstances. I can't go on how I feel, how my body physically feels. I have to stand on what I know to be true, and that is that God is going to restore me to health. No matter what our circumstances look like, we have to trust him completely. He, his promises are true, and he rewards. Devoted hearts. He does. In Psalm 103, verse 7, it says, He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. And when you think about that verse, it's talking about God spending time with Moses actually as a friend. Moses, he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to his children. That's talking about the children of Israel saw the sea open up and they walked through on dry ground. Amazing, they saw that with their own eyes. So that was a reward, they got to see God in action. But Moses didn't just see God, he knew why God did it because God made his ways known to him. It's incredible. It says in Exodus thirty-three ten: inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as he speaks to a friend. So the reward for Moses' devotion was friendship with God. Incredible. Now, when I read that verse that Moses spoke with God face-to-face, I was a little confused because in that same chapter, it talks about no one is able to see the face of God and live. And so I'm like, what does that mean if Moses saw on face-to-face but you can't see him face-to-face or you'll die? So I did a little research on this because I thought, I need to be able to answer this question. If I don't understand it, there will probably be other people with that question. But what it means is... Um, It's not a, when it was talking about face-to-face there, it's called a theophany. And what that just means is it's a visible manifestation of God by a human. And it doesn't mean that they saw, he saw God in his full glory because he wouldn't have been able to handle that. But it was a manifestation of God. So, I don't know if anyone else had that question, but I had that question, so I wanted to look that up. But that's what God gave Moses. He gave him friendship. He rewarded him with friendship with him. Again, in that verse, 2 Chronicles six nineteen, the eyes of the Lord are looking all over the earth for those whose hearts are loyal to him. God seeks these loyal hearts for a purpose because he wants to show himself strong. We're talking about strength this semester. And how do we get that strength? And here we see that if we are devoted to the Lord, the reward for our devotion is his strength. His eyes are constantly searching for these hearts and when he finds one, he stops and blesses it. Friendship and strength are given and an invitation is issued to share in the journey with the Lord, incredible. Don't wait until you feel like you get your life all together. Don't wait until, oh, I need to know more about the Bible, I need to be better. No, don't wait. He wants your heart right now, just like it is and he wants you to start becoming devoted to him, spend time in his presence. Let devotion for him fuel your obedience. Surrender your life to him and refuse to distrust him. Let's be determined to be the women whose hearts get his attention, amen? Amen, Amen. let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you so much for your love for us, God. You're so amazing, you're so good and gracious. And Lord, I just pray that we would want to get to know you more, God. We would want to be more devoted to you, God, and that you will give us that strength when we're devoted to you. Help us um, just make it a, a want to and not a have to to spend time in your presence, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.